Hi, this is Rafa Nadal, and you are listening to ATP Tennis Radio. Serves now a fifth match point. He serves out to the team backhand. Down the line! It is long from a Dominic team! Nadal raises his arms in triumph! Rafa, the incomparable in Paris! 6-4, 6-3, 6-2! He crushes Dominic team! Two hours and 42 minutes! An 11th Roland Garros title, a 17th Grand Slam for Rafa Nadal. The King of Clay does it again. 11 titles here in Paris from 11 finals. It's absolutely incredible. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Shiji Salmon alongside Peter Macasso and Peter. Before we talk about the final, why are you wearing a hard hat? And well, hello, by the way. Hello, Gigi. Hello, everyone. Yeah, it's, uh, well, the, the joint's being pulled down because Corp-Philippe Chatteret, uh, basically after we've finished this podcast, is being 70% pulled down and they're going to be putting up a new stadium and preparing for the roof. So now uh, we're having the demolition sort of farewell party and uh, people are writing messages on the walls and I made sure that we wrote Radio RG was here just to show that we had the presence here before it all comes down. And so, yeah, I guess it's a bit of a bittersweet time because this stadium, as it was, held plenty of memories and so many great events have happened. This is just another step in the evolution. But, uh, yeah, stopping short of sledgehammers, uh, we're sort of doing the next best thing along the way, but uh, we might have to speed this up, Gigi, because we may not be here much longer. Well, that's why last year we sat on Court Philippe Chatrier and we spoke about the final and how things have gone. It's why we're not on Court Philippe Chatrier because they are pulling it to pieces. I'd like to say we found somewhere quiet, but wherever you are, things... We just finished the live at RG television show we literally said goodbye and the gentleman came in and started peeling apart the set. It, it, it's so fast now. They've got this down to a fine art. There's no hanging around, no, we'll wait till tomorrow. It is, we need to get this stuff out of here because we're going to completely convert this stadium in the space of 12 months and it's going to be completely different. I mean, we'll have to be careful because the couch we're sitting on it's going soon. Yeah. It's going we're soon. We're going to be doing a podcast while we're in midair. People are carrying a couch with us on it. It's a... Okay, that might make interesting listening. So we'll, we'll try and make it as quick as we can so we don't actually lose the sofa that we're sitting on. If you hear a crash bang or a wallop, it's because the, the building we're actually in is not going to be here tomorrow. That is how fast... At Things change at Roland Garros at the end of, of any tournament. Right, let's get to the man of the moment, the man of the 11 moments with 11 titles here, Rafa Nadal and his straight sets victory over Dominic Team. We're expecting him to win. Uh, the, the entire narrative and the storyline has been about Rafa winning and there was nothing to suggest in the lead-up that there was going to be any problems in doing that. Uh, we thought probably it was going to be a closer final, but then... Rafa won the first six points of the match and it sort of looked ominous. Well done to Dominic Team though, because he fought his way back nicely in that set and was able to keep pace with Nadal. But the question mark we had going in was always that he can do two out of three in terms of sets. Can he do three out of five? And that proved to be problematic today because he had one down, really down game at the end of the first set and then that just shifted everything towards Rafa Nadal. And even in that third set when Nadal was cramping he had hand cramps and the trainer came out 
he was still able to just roll through that match. And it wasn't so much that the team was uh, physically tired or anything like that. It's just mentally, you have to concentrate so hard for such a long period of time against a relentless Rafael Nadal. And it proved to be the case again today. I mean, this is sort of something that we could probably get podcasts from years before. And we say the same thing. It is why he is so good on this surface. He's just relentless and he plays the mind games with you and he just owns this court. And it proved the case again today. A lot of people say it's the toughest challenge in sport right now to beat Nadal with the best of five sets here. And a stat to back that up. He has got nearly 100 wins and zero defeats when he's won the first set on clay in the best of a five set match. That is incredible. These are the moments that we'll be talking about for a long time to come you know 10 20 30 years down the track when we see the new generations coming through we'll be sitting back in our rocking chairs Gigi, you and i <laughs> maybe not in the same place at the same time you still have your hard hat on or? i'll still have that i won't be taking this off nor will i be washing my hair ever again because there's none left but i'll be sitting back going how good was it that we were so privileged to be able to see rafael nadal win 11 at the moment and probably counting titles here that the the greatest on clay and and making claims i suppose to the greatest of all time that i'm going to leave that for pub discussions in the years to come when they both finish their careers but that what he's been able to do on this surface and the just total dominance because it's not only 11 titles here 11 titles in monte carlo 11 titles in barcelona as well has just completely dominate this surface it's, it's just extraordinary you're listening to the atp tennis radio podcast roland garris 2018 has just finished Gigi sam alongside peter mccarto some of the rafa nadal stats 11 roland garris titles 17 grand slam titles 79 singles titles 57 clay court titles he dropped just one set through this tournament which i predicted he will go by the way just a little voice there in the background he will go back (laughs) to number one in the new rankings having defended his title he's got four titles this year as you touched on there now 11 barcelona monte carlo and roland garris it is it's astonishing and we saw and a lot of people were commenting on this the emotion from rafa nadal who was in tears on the stage it was because of the sustained applause and he's talked all the way through about how important this tournament is to him and it's it's very much a one that that sits takes pride of place and really you know to be able to do it year after year after year and he's talked about the fans and how important the fans are and all of that sort of stuff that he's really been able to put it together and now he's finally able to show that emotion and the sustained applause that went on and on went on for a couple of minutes and he was just standing there taking it in and, and i guess he didn't really know what to do other than cry it was it was it was amazing, and his his coach Carlos Moya that was speaking afterwards said it's you don't often see him that emotional, but it's it's a big thing winning title number eleven. We heard from his uncle Tony on live at RG, and he said he was asked if it's if it's easier to watch that final's easier to watch now. He's not his coach. He said the rest of the tournament's been, but it's just the same when you get to the final. In fact, once again, it means so much for his nephew. Wasn't it interesting though at the end of the match, like that final game? how Nadal raced to match point and then a couple of unforced errors came in. Team hit a winner along the way too and it was sort of juice advantage, juice advantage, juice advantage. He couldn't quite get it done but then eventually the damn wall broke and just the reaction afterwards of the arm straight up and looking straight at his team shows how much I mean they mean to him as well and you talk about making that change from Uncle Tony to Carlos Moya that seemingly has been seamless too in terms of making that that transition and 
everything just works. The same preparation. Everything was the same. He lost one set this year. He didn't drop a set last year. You know, pushed a little bit more here, but again, he's still just the dominant force. And he's talked about how important it is. I mean, even in terms of the reputation, the court announcer before each of Rafa's matches mentioned every single year that he's won <laughs> here and the crowd goes bananas. I mean, it just shows the reputation and the legacy that he's left at this tournament. He had some cramps in that wrist, in the hand, in the fingers, and Carlos Moy said it's something that, that hasn't happened before. All eyes now on grass and what he does. He signed up to play at Queen's, the, the lead-up tournament to Wimbledon, so it'll be interesting to see what he has done, I think more so since Roger Federer set this precedent of missing an entire chunk of the season. The second year now, Roger Federer has missed clay, but Rafa Nadal will still sign up for the grass court tournament, so interesting to see how that pans out. I think it'll be interesting to see in the coming years, Gigi, what Rafa decides to do because Roger obviously hit a point where he said, well, yeah, I'm going to start getting injured a lot more and I'm not going to win on the clay, so I'm just going to sit back from that and, and prepare for grass. I think it's going to be a similar thing with Nadal in the years to come where he might choose to focus a little bit more on isolating the clay, these events, a couple of the lead-ups and then into the French Open and maybe not so much on the hardcourt swing in the States or... On the other side, taking a bit of a break through the grass court swing, potentially, just to extend his career because Roger sets the template, others seem to follow, and it just rolls from there. But, you know, the, what he's been able to achieve here, the history he's been able to make, and over a quality player too, like Dominic Team, who's we've talked about being the heir well, apparent. Well, I'd like to talk about Dominic Team now and the two weeks that and the development from Dominic Team, who, again, was building everything up to coming into Roland Garros, the biggest tournament on his favourite surface. Yep, and the fact that he had the great lead in form too. He played a hell of a lot of matches. He wasn't, as I say, it wasn't anything physical out there. He was just playing Rafa and Nadal when he was at peak form, like a lot of other players who have played in the final of this event have found out. He's building a nice resume on clay. I mean, the question remains whether it's going to be looking at sort of you know, the other surfaces and whether he's able to really make an impact, similar to, to Rafa, who does have uh, slam wins on the other surfaces. But I, I think, you know, with his age and the fact he's going to be around for a long time and he's so used to this surface, I mean, this is just a stepping stone. Move from the semifinals into the final this year, that's a tick to go all the way. He might have to wait till Rafa retires, but then there are a lot of players who might have to wait till Rafa retires before they get that opportunity over here. Speaking with Peter McCarter, if you can hear noise in the background, it's because the 2018 edition of Roland Garros has just finished and oh. it takes about a minute before they start peeling yep. things to pieces. We actually lost electricity for about 15 minutes. Really? Yeah. They came back, luckily, but they just start switching. They start just pulling out plugs. It doesn't matter what they're attached to. Just everything gets pulled out. It's just like they just take your chair. It's on wheels. They just wheel you out I, I think, as well. I, I think and, and Nick and everyone else I, I, but associated with it. I think they actually probably would. So like the players who go straight to grass, do you go straight to grass or not? No, I have to go home first. Cause so I'm you're going back to Australia I've to come some, back to Wimbledon? Yeah, we've got a bit of uh, duties in other sports, Gigi. There's apparently a big sort of football event going on. So I'm <laughs> going to be working a bit on that. But then I am coming back. I'm right. coming back for Wimbledon. So... Shall we do it again a couple of weeks' time? Yep, I think we should catch up with Wimbledon. And we should say that you're, uh, you're coming over again to work with ATP Tennis Radio for a big chunk towards the end of the season. I am very much looking forward to that. Not sure the hard-working producer is, but, uh, yep, yeah, Paris, Milan and the O2 at the end of the year. So that's going to be fantastic. And what do you have to remember? What do I have to remember? What do you have to remember? Oh, yes. B the predictions. 
they're sitting at home. The time capsule. The time capsule, which is on the, the smallest locked up box that I could find, um, which you've pointed out many, many times, Gigi. And yep, you've got the key, right? Because I swallowed the, my key just for safekeeping. And, oh, okay. Right, well, we can just maybe, we can get well, it open somehow. <laughs> we'll work out a way. We'll find a way. I'm not sure I know where the key is. Because it was such a small box, it was such a small key. Yes. And it's hard to keep track of because it was so small. Right. Well, we'll have right. to uh, we'll work on that. That's a long way down the track. We have so many different storylines and so many things to talk about. And by the time we get to Wimbledon, Gigi will be throwing the, all the darts up in the air and talking about probably Roger Federer being the favourite again and then who's going to challenge the title there. It's just interesting how the, the narrative moves on from the next couple of days. We're on grass. Peter, it's been a pleasure. You've got your hard hat on, so get back to the media centre to start drawing on balls and pulling down whatever you're going to be getting up well, to. Well, that and maybe a, a cool drink or two. Can I get you one? Possibly, quite possibly. I think <laughs> I think a hard hat and a cool drink sounds like a good way to spend your Sunday night. How did we get this? <laughs> so, Peter, thank you very much for your time, but I can't have the cool drink or the hard hat just yet because I am off to track down another couple of members of ATP Tennis Radio and the Radio Roland Garros team because your ATP Tennis Radio podcast is not finished just yet as we take an in-depth look back on the last couple of weeks. They are the Golden Nine a prestigious collection of ATP World Tour Masters 1000 tournaments, hosted in the world's most spectacular venues and cities. Contested by only the world's very best, this is their exclusive playground. Coming at you from Indian Wells. Let's get it started. From Miami to Monte Carlo. Bang. Thank you, Monte Carlo. Get ready, Madrid. Game, set, match, Madrid. New balls, please, for Rome. Grazie, Roma. See you in Canada. On to you, Cincinnati. Hi from Cincinnati. Get ready for Shanghai. From Shanghai to Paris. From Paris to London. On Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, atpworldtour.com and the official ATP apps. This is ATP Tennis Radio. I've managed to find a quiet corner. Well, I say a quiet corner. The tournament has finished, which means they start to pull the place to pieces. So you're going to hear noise and you might hear people because actually I don't think there is such a thing as a quiet corner the night a tournament finishes. And it's going to get a little bit louder now because I'm joined by Nick McCarville and Matt Brown, members of ATP Tennis Radio. Uh, you're currently, Matt, sitting on a sofa. I'm just hoping you're still going to be sitting on it <laughs> by the time we, we finish this podcast. I'm exhausted after an amazing two weeks of tennis. He might be lying down, actually, when we finish. It's been fabulous. What a wonderful Roland Garros. I, I want to use this part of the podcast, having just spoken with Peter about the final, as everything apart from the final. So the first question to you, Matt Brown, is how have you found the two weeks? I think it's been a brilliant uh, two weeks. We've had some of the biggest names in the game getting through to the business end of the tournament. We've had some great uh, upsets. And Marco Cecchinato to the man he beat in the second round, Marco Tringoletti from Argentina, the lucky loser who drove 11 hours from Barcelona uh, to play Bernard Tomic and then beat him. Uh, we've had some great storylines right throughout the tournament. Um, Diego Schwartzman's comeback uh, against 
Kevin Anderson stood out for me. Uh, there have been some terrific results and um, some amazing performances from some of the biggest names in the game and also some of the players we didn't know much about before the tournament. Nick, the and I will ask both of you later for your match of the two weeks, again, just away from the final to separate things and your player of the tournament. But just overall, Nick, the two weeks for you in Paris. Humid. <laughs> Sweaty. <laughs> no, I mean, actually, last year was the hot Roland Garros. Two years ago, it was the soggy, wet Roland Garros. But I actually have spoken to a few people. We feel like this is the most humid Roland Garros we've had in a while. I mean, the, the conditions obviously have lent to cert certain players, of course, as the tournament has gone on. But um, it's been wonderful. I, th I think a lot every morning we look at the forecast and worry about, is it going to rain today? The humidity stuck around. But usually we got blue skies um, and delightful because, as Matt was mentioning, we did get to learn about some new players this tournament, some players that, you know, even for me and our work at ATP Tennis Radio, I got to learn new stories, new backstories, some great runs here. Obviously, Chekanato and what he was able to do and get in the semifinals. Matt already mentioned what Diego Schwartzman was able to do. That was inspiring. And so each Grand Slam is its own little storybook. And this one I just had some twists and turns along the way, and I really enjoyed them. I want to pick out a few players. And let's start with Marco Cecchinato, because you both mentioned him. We spoke, Nick, to Marit Safin in our Live at RG show. And, and Matt, he was saying about Cecchinato that he doesn't seem to play like an Italian. He hits through his shots. He's got a good game. He hopes he can push on from here. That'll be the big question for Marco Cecchinato. He's now going to be seeded at Wimbledon. Different tournaments, different doors have opened up to him. Without a doubt, so much challenge and success. But now, of course, because he's going to be seeded at Wimbledon, he is going to be getting into the ATP Master, Masters 1000 tournaments after Wimbledon as well, which, of course, last year. So he's got no points effectively to mm. defend. So even if he wins one round or two rounds occasionally, he's still going to maintain his ranking pretty much because he's not defending anything uh, of note for the rest of the year. So it's onwards and upwards for him. The challenge will be for him, of course, next year when he has the big run here to defend. But look, the confidence he plays that backhand and the confidence he would have gained from this tournament. He's just 25. Uh, I've got a lot of confidence that he can go and perform. Just maybe not on the grass. I'm not sure if uh, if that's the surface for him. <laughs> I think he was saying he feels weird that he's going to be seated at Wimbledon, and he said it's actually good for other players. So obviously he's confident <laughs> <laughs> in his tennis. But yeah, I agree with Matt. I don't think obviously the the grass will be um, his, you know, necessarily played to his strengths. But he's a player, I mean, imagine you're trying to schedule your, your work for the rest of the year or plan vacations or whatever you do. Imagine his schedule having gone challengers, maybe some 250s, 500s, trying to get into the thousands. Now all of a sudden you're into the thousands, you're seated at a slam. Everything will change in the expectations when we look at the main draws. Yes, he doesn't have points to defend there, but he's got a lot of challenger points on his resume. And so he's going to have to back up. It's a whole new ball game for him and managing expectations. He should be proud of what he did here the way that he fought against Novak Djokovic, I was certain that Djokovic was going to come back and win that match in five. I mean, that's the way it felt, right? He served for it in the fourth, but Cecchinato should take confidence. And the, the way that he played those first two sets against Dominic Team, he almost won three set points, right, Gigi, in the second set. So he, he almost got a set in a semifinal of a Grand Slam. I mean, if you would have told him that at the beginning of this fortnight, 
think he would have been pretty happy. <laughs> he was very smiley in his press conferences. And his coach, Simeone Vagnosi, said the big thing for them now is they can prepare properly for tournaments because they can get into those tournaments. They can actually plan their schedule because they know exactly what they can do. The travel can now be basically booked through till the end of the year. They know exactly what week they're playing where uh, because they are into the biggest tournaments. They don't have to go and you know look at maybe options of different challenger tournaments which are on in one week. They know they'll be playing in... Toronto, in Cincinnati, in Shanghai, um, all going well. And uh, and Bercy, um, throwing a couple of 500s in Europe as well. Uh, so, yeah, that, they, uh, they've got it pretty sweet now in terms of the planning. Now they've still got to execute, as Nick said. You've still got to get – you've got points to defend. You've still got to get some results. You can't lose first round otherwise – every week. Otherwise, your ranking is going to, you know, gradually slide. Now, I'm going to throw some names at you, but please feel free – to throw some names at me if there's someone I haven't talked about there's someone you want to talk about but Novak Djokovic you touched on him there Nick what do we take away from these couple of weeks for Novak Djokovic bittersweet I mean that's sort of the first word that comes to me for Novak having rounded him himself into form I felt like when he came through this draw he was actually the guy that I thought was going to get to the final the way that he was playing I said that at the beginning of the tournament but then he was building my own confidence off of his confident play the way that he came through four sets against Batista Agut and then straight sets against Fernando Verdasco, but then you reverted a little bit, right? And I think that's actually, it wasn't expected that he lost to Cecanato, but you can't expect him to bring that best tennis over two weeks. And that's why there was such the question mark over Djokovic coming into this tournament. He'll walk away very, very disappointed with losing that match because he felt like he should have and that that was a match for him to win, obviously against Cecanato in a Grand Slam quarterfinal. But you know, I think that there are steps in the right direction, and I think that he's back officially and that he's here to stay. And because he believed he was back and uh, there were some really good signs in his performances, I've never seen his reaction quite so stark after a defeat uh, at a tournament in terms of going not into the main media room. Uh, he just did not want to be there. And he was devastated, absolutely devastated by that loss because he thought, I think he honestly believed he was going all the way, at least to the semis and uh, possibly to the final two. So the positives there is that the fire in the Djokovic belly has been reignited. And it's, no, you don't want to see someone in the wrong room and he's not happy and the answers are very short. But if you can flip it and take the positives, it seems that passion is there because as you say, Matt, it hurt him. He's back with Marion Vida. That's going well from, from all accounts. Uh, he looked a lot more during the tournament. So he looked relaxed, looked confident, everything he was doing until that final match. And I guess, yes, it does throw up a little bit of doubt again. Uh, but... I honestly believe with what he has been through and with the, the injuries that it is going to take a little bit longer and 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 uh, whether that success will come at Wimbledon, he certainly has played well on the grass before. Uh, if he can play a lead in tournament or two, then uh, then we could see some good results and encouraging results there as well. So we're saying Marco Cecanato, good tournament. Are we saying good tournament, Novak Djokovic? Yeah, good, but those are different expectations yeah. for the two of them, right? But I think Djokovic overall should walk away happy Maybe not ecstatic, but happy. And I think that his team would say that to him, too. He wasn't happy that night that he lost to Cecanato, obviously. And a lost opportunity considering the draw. Although Cecanato also showed he was a worthy Grand Slam semi-finalist by performing at that level against Dominic team when he should have won the second set. Uh, two fantastic 
sets of tennis in that semi-final yeah. and he fell away once he lost the second and team got the job done but but yeah I thought uh, he was a worthy semi-finalist and with the you know beating three big seeds in the tournament highlights for me have been Cecanato tie breaks I could just keep watching Cecanato <laughs> tie breaks that one against Djokovic one against team Sasha Zverev good tournament bad tournament middling tournament well, he, he got deeper than he ever has at a Grand Slam. So, yes, good tournament for him overall. Um, I think he learned a lot about himself, right? He had to manage himself through a couple matches where he really should have lost. I mean, he probably should have lost to Damir Jumher. He maybe should have lost to Dusan Lajevic. But he worked his way through those matches. And then against Karen Hachinov, I mean, gosh, he, he if he would have won that... Uh, quarterfinal against Dominic Team, that would have been, you know, trying to do so... He had won three five-set matches in a row. If he would have done that against Dami, that would have been an open-air record. I think he's happy in the sense that he came through and and broke through that ceiling. But I think now you have to go back to the drawing board a little bit because physically he did break down after those long matches. Disappointed in his performance overall. Uh, I think coming in, I had high expectations for him after winning in Munich, winning in Madrid, runner-up to Nadal and pushing Nadal and you know up in the tournament in um, in Rome up a break before the rain delay. So I do think that he is a player who um, underperformed in the big matches. I saw his whole entire match against Lajovic. He really battled to get out of that one. Uh, Zumher as well. He didn't bring the same level that he was bringing prior to uh, the tournament uh, in the lead-in events and, and I just wonder whether fatigue you know, may have been a factor there so I'd expect more for him on the grass with his game Yeah, he'll take a lot of positives out we talked a bit, we talked about in previous podcasts that they stayed in our hotel last year, the Zverev family they weren't there this year but they yeah. did. we did end up, Nick, a few times at the same restaurant and what you get is they are they're a tight group. They're very close. On occasions, his father was there. Always you had his physio and his fitness trainer, Hugo Gravel and Jez Green, eating copious amounts of sushi, but looking <laughs> okay. very, very relaxed and laid back. We talk about the team and how important that team is. You touched on Marion Vida there, being with Novak Djokovic. We were told until the end of the clay, we see what happens now. But for Sasha Zverev, he has a very tight team around him. No, he's crafted that team, right? I mean, this is what the professionals do now because they're making enough money where they can afford to have... A physio, a trainer, sometimes a nutritionist, a therapist, a coach, two coaches, an assistant coach. I mean, they're building these squads around him. And Sasha has done that now seriously for the last couple of years. And so for him, I think they do come back and they talk about physically what went right. But then I think tennis-wise, he's got to look at a match against, say, a Zoomer or a Dusan Lajevic, those shouldn't be five-set matches. And that's no disrespect to those players. But Sasha Zverev, for the kind of tennis that he can play on clay, he should be coming through those matches in three or four sets. Sasha Zverev is the third best player in the world at the moment. There's a few players trying to push him and get past him. Juan Martin Del Potro, we always take the positives, Matt, that he is fit and he's coming through. But do you expect him to kick on from this Roland Garros run and move into the grass and keep that schedule as full as it is? I think uh, after the deep run that he had here at Roland Garros, he may maybe not play, he may, may just play um, Queens or Harley. I haven't seen the schedule, maybe just the one tournament leading in. Wouldn't see, surprise me with Del Potro. Did pick up a little bit of a niggle in his defeat uh, in the semi-final. But I do think he is a danger wherever he plays. He's shown he can do it on the clay. He's done it on the hard courts. And he can do it on the grass with the serve and the forehand in particular. Uh, against right-handed players, wouldn't want to play too many left-handers like... Uh, 
uh, like Nadal because of their ability to to work towards his backhand, his weaker side. And but I do think uh, you know he takes a lot of positives from this. And the main thing is you know he's just been playing again, playing week in week out, being injury free for a sustained period. Someone who I feel we talk about a lot, and I feel I'm not sure we get very far with is is Gregor Dimitrov. He just seems to be a permanent question mark with Dimitrov after that cracking end to last year, winning the Tour Finals, the biggest title of his career and he won his first Masters title and we expected big things. Some people tipped him to win the Australian Open. There was a defeat to Kyle Edmund there and what are we thinking? What are we feeling? What are the expectations about Grigor Dimitrov right now? It's really, it's a, still a big question mark for me, Gigi, because just overall, I this has been sort of the same scenario for him the last or these first five months of the season and it hasn't necessarily been the kind of tennis we saw him win in Cincinnati and then win the ATP World World Tour Finals in London, that really, and I've said this before, that really to me felt like him announcing his true arrival as a contender. And and he goes out here having won a couple matches. You know, he beat he beat Jared Donaldson 10-8 in the fifth set. I, you know, worked his way. He kissed his knee at the end of that match because <laughs> he was proud of his, you know, the work that he's done off the court, obviously, Matt. But but to go down to Fernando Verdasco and he said that, you know, he just felt like he played from behind that whole match. And, you know, that is a match that Verdasco should be feeling like he's playing from behind. So I don't know. Is there going to be a shakeup? You know, he, he has obviously entrusted Danny Valverde a lot with his career and, and what they've been doing. He's doing the work off the court. It just it doesn't feel like it's translating on the court, and I honestly don't know why that is. His whole career's been inconsistent, and uh, yes, he had that purple patch towards the end of last year on hard courts and indoors. I don't think clay is his surface. He's never really had the results here consistently at Roland Garros. He's often gone out early. Uh, a lot of work for him, I think, to uh, to get back, to get that consistency back because, you know, he hasn't shown it uh, so far in uh, 2018. I feel we haven't talked a lot about next-gen stars here at Roland Garros. Yes, Sasha Zverev is a next-gen star, but I think not. we just talk about him now as one of the, the best players in the world. Jung Chung and Andre Rublev weren't here. Karen Hashinov is now too old to be a next-gen player. The furthest next-gener was Denis Shapovalov, and he lost in the second round to Maximilian Malta, who's 22 years of age. Wh- who's virtually a no, next-gener. Ta- well, no, 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 no. He wasn't oh, in the tournament. I'm giving you the criteria, 21 yeah. and under in terms of, of next-geners, and it was uh, it was a tournament where we weren't really talking about them, Matt. No, we weren't, because I was talking a lot about uh, Martyra, who was 22, you know, as I say, uh, came onto the scene, but but not next-gen. He was one of my players of the tournament, just for, for the fact that he uh, performed so well in that incredible match uh, to beat Shapovalov, and then uh, got through and, and played really well in a tight three-setter against Nadal. And it was a tight three-setter. It wasn't, you know, it was 7-6 in the third, but even the first two sets were 3-2, three and two, and, and they were close sets, and he, he looked to me to be a player who will kick on, but yet not technically next-gen, and I tend to agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, it wasn't a tournament uh, for the next geners. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, you look at uh, Shapovalov just in the sense that yeah. he came through and, and was seated for the first time yeah. at a major and then I think was just outplayed a little bit by Martyr in that match. I think Matt and I actually called a bit of that on uh, Radio Roland Garros, but Shapovalov, the expectations now change for him a lot, right? Because he's going to be seated at majors for a while 
I think, hopefully. And so I think he's learning. For him, I, I liked seeing that he went back to work there in Italy after leaving Paris and hopefully bringing his best tennis. But yeah, this it was, it was an interesting slam overall for sort of that generation next because who will break through? I agree with Matt. I think it was great to see Max Martyrer and the weapons that he has. People kind of starting to compare him to Rafael Nadal. I think got to wait a little bit at wow, least his okay. style of yes, play yes. he's a lefty he's a big guy <laughs> he moves well that forehand is fierce but um yeah Sh- Shapovalov I think will leave a little bit disappointed he, d- he played a little too tight against Martyr in that match so what would be your match or your player or your person or your moment semi-final and downwards from the two weeks and it doesn't have to be something on court maybe it's something you saw off the court I just, to me, the the match and the person comes in one, and that's Diego Schwartzman and what he was able to do. We mentioned that a little bit earlier, but the fact that Kevin Anderson, a confident Kevin Anderson, who came out of Rome, he retired after making his first Masters 1000 semi in Madrid, goes to Rome, a little bit of a niggle, pulls out of his first match after the first set, and then comes here healthy, confident, and gets a two sets to one lead. He was throttling Schwartzman, playing good tennis, playing great from the baseline. Schwartzman digs deep, not only in the third set, the fourth set, and then wins the fifth set going away 6-2, and then takes a set off Rafael Nadal. I mean, you know, this is a Schwartzman who's five foot seven, maybe, if we're being friendly, <laughs> maybe a little shorter. But he has so much heart. We got to speak to his mom here at Live Silvana. at RG. Yeah, she was so proud of himself. He's worked his way to be a number 11 seed, and he worked his way into week two of Roland Garros. And I, I don't see any reason why we would think that Diego Schwartzman's going to go anywhere else. I think he's hanging around. He's going to be a mosquito. He's going to bother guys with coming back. And, <laughs> and that's the kind of tennis he plays, and he should take heart in that. And he's tough on all surfaces too. He's done it on hard courts too. He's posed a lot of yeah. problems to a lot of very good players. So yeah, incredible to come back from uh, from that two sets to one. And, to, and as Anderson was serving for it on, on two occasions, uh, one in the fourth and one in the third set. But I still go back to where we started really with uh, Chicanado. For me, the, the player of the tournament in the sense that he came from absolutely nowhere. Nobody, not a lot, not a lot of people had heard of Marco Chicanato. Uh, and he caused the... A 10-8 in the fifth set came from two sets to love down in his very first match against Marius Koppel. He then beat Tringoletti and all the attention on that match was on the, the Argentine who had um, you know driven 11 hours, another story of the story of the first week. Uh, yeah. But then, of course, that win over Djokovic, and partly I'm biased because I got to call the tiebreaker, that incredible tiebreaker, 13-11, where he beat Novak Djokovic in some of the most stupendous points you'd ever see. Uh, so that was my kind of moment of the tournament. Uh, and then to put up a great fight against uh, Dominic Team. Uh, in the semi-final, uh, yeah, um, I think I'll go with uh, with Chicanato. Your vocal cords, do they recover <laughs> from calling that tiebreak against Djokovic? No, it took about a day and a half. But <laughs> no, they didn't. He was yeah, quite, he was quite talkative that night. I, Matt, I've never known you silent. No, no, no. no I never, well, you wouldn't want it any other way, would you, Gigi? A- absolutely not. These two weeks, I need a nice, noisy Matt Brown. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio Podcast with Nick McCullough, Matt Brown, myself. She says, I will give the honourable mention to Marco Tringoletti. Anyone who can pack up their grandma, she was in the shower in Barcelona and say, Granny, Granny, I know you thought we were going on a road trip around Spain, but we're actually going to Paris. Pack your granny and your mum in what was quite a small car. Your brother doing the majority of the driving. You've got yourself a coffee and you drive that way to get here to sign in as a lucky loser. And that's something else, isn't it, uh, Matt and Nick, that we've seen with this the new rule that's come in about if you pull out before your match, you get half the prize money. The other half goes to the lucky loser. We had, what, eight here in Roland Garros? An absolute record. 
They're just, there might be a few ATP Challenger tournament directors might be wondering, am I going to fill the fields after immediately after a Grand Slam? Because more uh, players might just want to stay behind a little bit longer to see whether they get in as a lucky loser because of this new rule. And of course, we had the situation where there simply weren't enough left in Paris, hence the Tringoletti situation. But yeah, it's, it's a good rule. It's a good rule because it means that you know top players are not going to put their bodies on the line if they are injured. Uh, they are going to still get a benefit and uh, out of it by getting half the prize money anyway, rather than doing what has happened in the past. And and so I, I think it's actually a good rule. Now, live rankings change all the time because people are playing tournaments all the time. But as things stand, as we move into the grass court season, Novak Djokovic is 21 in the world. Kanish Kuri is 26. Milos Raonic is 35. Guillermo Fis is 43. Joe Wilfred Tsonga is 51. Andy Murray is 157. And Stan Wawrinka is 263. It's incredible. Some of those names, where there are, the one thing it will do when they come back and play, some of them aren't at the moment, it makes things, Matt, very interesting in tournament draws. Oh, it does indeed because they're going to be unseated. They're going to need wild cards. They'll get wild cards, of course, because they are big names uh, in, in in the sport. But yeah, it certainly is going to be challenging for some of them because we've seen coming back from injuries. I mean, as we speak, you know, we don't know when Andy Murray is coming back, when he is going to play again. And and it's going to be tough for, for Murray. Uh, Stan Wawrinka got a bit of match play on the clay. Um, lost first round here. Had a couple of wins beforehand in, in Geneva, but but he is very much in the infancy of his comeback. So for all these players, um, it's just going to be fascinating. And uh, and I, get, I think tournament directors, they might just dread it because uh, you have the big names playing uh, some of the top seeds in the first round. Yeah, I think for these guys, you know, unseeded, obviously they're going to be challengers in a sense. You know, they're going to be all over the draws. And I think really having the opportunity to cause some havoc. And, and for these guys overall, you know, trying to work their way back, right? Because we saw it with Stan, a little bit of a false start earlier this year. And, and how are you going to manage your body? And and Milos Raonic hasn't been able to stay healthy. I, f- I feel more confident now in Kenny Shikori. I feel more confident in Novak Djokovic. Um, Sanga, it, there's been some, you know, confusion for him this year and trying to right their bodies. But also th- that's part of that generation of guys who have started to get older. And now it really is about body management and Feliciano Lopez spoke to us in Madrid on ATP Tennis Radio about all it is is body management now and we see that with the Bryan brothers playing into their 40s being able to take care of yourself off the court so you can bring your best tennis on it it's not necessarily very easy it's not simple and the tour isn't getting any older because you've got these younger players who are still going to push it right Nick, I really appreciate your time. I want to ask you what's next. Well, I'm hoping what's next is a nice final dinner in Paris as we... Is that a no, Matt? You looked like you were about to say no. No, no, no. That's just what I'm looking (laughs) forward to. Hang on a second. (laughs) I I am looking forward to it because uh, we've both got Monday trips home. Mine's considerably longer journey than you, Gigi. Back to New Zealand. Yours is in minutes. What mine is, is it in hours just about? Uh, Yes, back to New Zealand. um, And who knows what is around the corner. But you'll keep an eye on the tennis over New Zealand, do a little bit of that throughout the year? I always do, yes. And yeah, really look forward to it. I just follow it like it's... uh, you know, it's my passion, which it is. And it's been great to uh, to work with you guys once again. And Nick, I, I wouldn't like to look at your diary because I, I, I imagine I couldn't actually figure out. But I believe you are going to go home for a bit. I'm going to sleep in my own bed. 12 Yay. days. Not that I counted them. 12 days at home. <laughs> and then come back, do some work for Wimbledon.com for their social media team in the qualifying week, which I love being at Roehampton, seeing the qualies. It's one of the coolest events 
out there because it's not at Wimbledon itself. So you get a whole different atmosphere. There's a whole field of tennis courts. And then for the two weeks, I'm working for Wimbledon Channel, which you can watch streaming live on YouTube. And I think they're on Twitter as well. Yeah, and I might try and nab Nick for a podcast Let's do it. Can't the wait. Wimbledon time. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. And thank you very much for listening to us. If you'd like to leave a review, uh, please do so. If you've enjoyed the podcast or you enjoy the podcast, go to iTunes. That would be very kind. Don't forget to keep up to date with all the tournaments, all the results, because they are going on all the time. Go to atpworldtour.com keep listening to ATP Tennis Radio we're with you every day of every week of every month throughout the year we're your access all areas backstage pass to life on the ATP World Tour we're going to have podcasts for you from Wimbledon the next Masters event that's in Canada in a few months from now we've got 500 tournaments on ATP Tennis Radio loads to keep you entertained and more podcasts coming for you very soon but from Paris we say au revoir and thank you very much for your company 